0: Uh, Yeah, so um, about that F-35, we found the jet, but there's a a couple things about this story that just don't feel quite right to me, and I'm about to make a big assumption, and we all know what that uh, usually ends up being. Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Whittle here with Steve Green and Scott Ott. It's your right angle about the F-35 that went missing, and part of this is, in a way, almost, uh, if not cool, then somewhat interesting, so... uh, Steve, why don't we start with you on that? They couldn't find the jet. Uh, it it took off and then it disappeared. And we spent, I think, a, like almost two full days uh, trying I, to I find want to out say it was where. It, just
1: over one day. Okay, still, just over one day. To, uh, this is the state
0: of the art, state of the art, latest latest jet uh, in the U.S. arsenal, and uh, it disappeared. It was gone. We couldn't find it. And I thought, well, somebody had better. Get out their clipboards and maybe be a little more careful on writing down tail numbers or something. But this is the part of the story that actually is—I don't want to say good—it's just kind of more interesting. Steve, one of the reasons they couldn't find the jet was because it doesn't show up on the radar. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, you've got you've got a highly advanced stealth jet that is no longer. Um, uh, the the guy shut down the transponder. Apparently, he did this as a as a way to basically fry the circuits of the jet because all of the uh, the sensors on the F thirty five are what make the F thirty five so remarkable. It's uh, the particular airframe's performance is kind of a pig. They call it um, Fat Amy. Uh, but um, but the sensors are incredible. So anyway, uh, turns off his transponder and then um, all of a sudden we're missing an F thirty five for a day. And it took. Uh, the, about a day to find this thing, some considerable distance away. Does that help, do you think, mitigate the situation in any way, or do you think there's anything to that? There, there are a couple of things I
1: hadn't thought of before. I, I wrote up this story in uh, kind of a funny way when it when it first happened, because number one, the pilot ejected safely, and yeah. he was not harmed. Otherwise, you, you don't make fun of this. But what was funny was, uh, I think it was Joint Base Charleston, uh, put out a tweet uh, basically saying, if you see our plane, <laughs> call this number. Which it's funny. I look. I know there's nothing funny about losing a hundred million dollar jet, or eighty million. I think maybe they've got the price down to now. But it is funny when the Marines, through their their social media account at, at Joint Base Charleston, have to put up a. I mean, like a missing dog poster. That we've had to put up a couple of times when our... When yeah, our that's
0: not quite how I wanted that to go. E-
1: exactly. Uh, I've also uh, read, and maybe uh, folks who are actually in the Air Force and uh, know about these things can comment and correct me if I'm wrong or uh, on the off chance I'm right, you can let me know. And that is uh, the Air Force generally for for training purposes uh, and for secrecy purposes uh, Will have things not as stealthy uh, during regular training. You know, they'll they'll emit more RF. Yes. Uh, we
0: don't want to let anybody know exactly
1: how yeah, good yeah, this yeah. is. How invisible are these planes? Well, we're not going to yep. let you know until you try it and actually find one during wartime, and, and 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 that's fine. So the idea that there's a a mishap that we don't know what it was, uh, this mishap was serious enough for the Marine pilot to eject but not so serious that the plane didn't continue on for for quite a ways quite a ways B- before it finally crashed and i it was a distance i i can't remember, recall off the top of my head what it was but it it's it, a couple
2: it, hundred it, miles i
1: think yeah i think so um before it finally hit the ground and there are questions uh there have been whistleblower reports that uh the software is just so buggy that maybe it was a software problem or that the software is so not well secured that maybe this was the result of a hack. We just don't know. Um, Some things maybe we shouldn't know. Others though, I think we have to be told. And so far the Marines, the Pentagon are not being very forthcoming.
0: Well, I'll tell you what feels funny about this to me um Scott is a, let, let a little bit of a, a pilot secrets out there and that is that uh, certainly any general aviation airplane just flies itself I mean you take your hands off of the controls a general aviation airplane like a Cessna or a piper or something have a the wings set at an angle called the um, dihedral and uh, this Keeps playing level and roll, and it's desi- so basically they're designed to just just fly. And occasionally you've had cases where uh, pilot gets incapacitated, and and the plane will keep flying until it runs out of fuel because they're supposed to be inherently stable. Now, when you're building a fighter jet, like the F. Thirty-five, the F twenty-two. You don't want stability. Stability is going to limit your ability to turn. You build F sixteen was the first example, I believe, of a jet that was intentionally designed to be unstable in flight because it was the first jet that had a computer-controlled electronic flight system that's constantly monitoring the condition of the jet. All this to say that I know enough about these military jets to say to know that that you're not flying the airplane in the traditional sense. You're telling the computer essentially using the stick. And there's a little marker on your heads-up display called the velocity vector. It's a little circle with a little thing on it. And that is where the airplane is going. It's going to that spot. It's constantly being recalculated. Here's the part that I find alarming, and I don't have any of the details. It's an experienced pilot, and he's a Marine Corps pilot. I have no doubt whatsoever of his patriotism or his competence, but – but – It is one of the unspoken rules about military aviation. A significant number of, of excellent pilots rode their airplanes into the ground because of their concern about where that aircraft was going to land. Hmm. And this is the part about the F-35 thing that I find really quite hard, almost impossible to understand and kind of disturbing. The idea that a pilot would eject from an airplane and have that airplane fly for 200 miles and, and have him depart the aircraft without knowing where that aircraft is going to land. I find that to be remarkably.
1: This is the part we need different,
0: different. I, 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 there are a number of, of, of aces from World War II who were killed in, in training back in the U.S. There's a sig- significant number of pilots who could have escaped with their lives and didn't because the plane is going down in flames, and they can see that if, we, if I get out of the plane now, I can save my life, but if I get out of the plane now, it's going to hit that school. And so they, so they do what they can to ride it in. It, it, if the plane was capable for flying another 100, 200 miles then that's telling me that that is not the kind of emergency that means you have to eject right away. He comes down, makes a phone call and says, we need to roll a rash, the, the rescue trucks because I've ejected from an aircraft and I don't know where the aircraft is. I found that to be very unusual,
2: very unusual. Yeah, I'm no pilot, but my understanding is that eject is the last thing on the checklist for troubleshooting. Um that, yes. that there are other things you go through before that in an effort to bring the plane down, you know, safely. I, you know, I have a little brother who had an engine failure in a single engine plane and he managed to put it down in a field safely. Um, and, and that kind of thing happens all the time. Uh, I grew up near a little airfield and we once uh, saw a biplane land in the middle of a cow pasture and then quickly be surrounded by cows who were curious as to what this new species was uh, because he didn't quite have enough gas to get to the landing strip, which was just on the other side of the fence in the next field. Um, so, you know, yeah, this does, there, there are serious questions that need to be asked and answered. Um, understandably, as Steve suggested, there may be some questions that can't get answered, but you certainly have to give broad answers to a challenge like this. I mean, when F-35 starts showing up on the sides of milk cartons, uh, you know you've got a, a bad situation here. I mean, I don't know if they have the equivalent of an Amber Alert, like a Fat Amy alert that they can send out that all your iPhones will suddenly be triggered with this. But that just doesn't seem right. And and Steve, I think, alluded to this, but uh, the thing that's striking to me about this is this didn't happen in some Dangerous corner of the world where, you know, somebody had to get out because we were, the plane was out of control and was headed over an enemy border and they had to get out to save the man's life or something like that. This happened in the Carolinas. So this is not, this is not something where you're, you're out in combat somewhere. Um, it it is disturbing. We do need answers. Uh, it brings up interesting questions. I think most people haven't thought through before when it comes to stealth aircraft that are designed to be, uh, very secretive and quiet and invisible and all that kind of stuff. Like what happens when you lose one, uh, in, in combat situations, um, But it shouldn't be that mystical, especially since we have a living pilot who's making phone calls after the fact. I
0: just want to clarify um uh, two things. I've said it twice already. I'll say it again. We don't have all the facts in. There might be a perfectly, absolutely reasonable, logical explanation yes. for this. I just can't imagine what it would be. I'm not a military pilot, but I am a thousand-hour private pilot, and I have an instrument rating and a flown high-performance experimental aircraft. I've also done a great deal of time in, in military jet simulators. So I'm trying to put myself in this situation to try and understand what possibly could have happened. And as uh, Steve and Scott both pointed out, That ejection, they call it reaching for the loud handle. Mm -hmm. And when you reach for the loud handle, that is the last resort. That is what you do because you are going to lose the aircraft. And now it's a question of are you going to lose the aircraft and the pilot. So the part I can't figure out is why a pilot would eject from an airplane that was in stable flight long enough to continue for another 200 miles or whatever the case may be. If this airplane were just upside down spiraling into the ground or something, you'd you'd have a case there, but the fact that the airplane continued straight and level for you know 100 some miles is telling me that that is not a situation that i would consider an eject situation unless there was something like a fire in the cockpit that's about yeah. the only thing i can think of that would that would justify that um, that's really about the only thing i can or think of Or a glitch of. in the, the ejection seat well it, it worked when he pulled the handle no, I'm apparently it, and it may have gone off when yeah, it wasn't supposed maybe
1: to maybe he didn't pull the handle i think is what I'm yeah. oh, saying well yeah.
0: that would be the first time in all of history well, but yes But these things can happen. So I was thinking, okay, so you've still got a new airplane. It's run by software. Perhaps there was a kind of – if you have this kind of glitch in the software, you want to find out about it over South Carolina and not over you know Iraq or Iran or or, or Russia. So I'm thinking, so so perhaps there's a problem with the flight controls. That's the most serious problem you can have in the air other than a mid-air collision is you lose the flight controls. If you can't control the flight of the airplane, that's generally not good. But again – the aircraft is in some form of straight and level flight. If, if I'm trying to put myself in this guy's situation. I can't imagine that if there was a fire in the cockpit and that caused him to eject that the plane would fly long enough with that kind of damage. So I'm just trying to figure out what, what it could have been. And if, if, if I was in an aircraft like that and I had lost complete control of the aircraft – I would get on the radio on a military frequency and I would advise them, we need a couple of F-16s or something up here to f- to fly on my wing, right? So we know where this thing is going so we can provide some kind of warning or something. And if it's heading for the heart of a city, then I can punch out and they can shoot it down. It's a big country and the sky is even bigger. But the idea of a pilot ejecting from an aircraft that is still continuing under level powered flight, and then getting on a private telephone and saying, we need to roll rescue trucks because I was just in a jet and now I don't know where that jet is. I've never heard of anything like that before ever in in, in military history. I've, I've never encountered that before. There's something very, very strange about that. And I'm not surprised that when you ask, well, what happened to cause this? The response from the, uh, from the Marines was, well, there was a malfunction. I'm not surprised they don't go into detail about what that malfunction is. I understand, I'm not that naive. I'm just trying to imagine what kind of a malfunction would cause these circumstances. And I, honest to God, can't think of one. I'm sure we'll find the answer someday. But I will tell you this, this this business of ejecting from an airplane and not knowing where it's gonna go is so deeply ingrained in pilot culture, not just military pilots, all pilots. So I'll just tell you this, on 9-11, I was woken up by a friend of mine. I was on the West Coast. He said, turn on the TV. I said, what channel? He said, it didn't matter. (laughs) My mom said the same thing. And when I I got into the story of 9-11, one of the towers had already gone down. The other one was burning. And they showed a replay of the second airplane hitting the tower, flying right into the tower. And the first thing, I I said it out loud. I, I said it out loud. When I saw that plane go into that tower, I said, I don't know who's flying that plane or whether anybody's flying that airplane. But one thing I do know is that there's not an American pilot behind the controls of that aircraft. I guarantee you, you know, he's going to put that thing in the river before he puts it into a building. That I guarantee you. And I just find the whole thing to be odd. I, I hope there's a perfectly logical explanation. But again... For a pilot to land in somebody's backyard, get on a make a nine one one call and say, "Hey, let's roll some crash chucks because the jet that I just ejected out of is flying over the hills and I don't know where it's going to go." I have a difficult time understanding that one. For Steve Green and Scott Ott, I'm Bill Whittle. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on Right Angle.